I'm Brett McGarry. This week on The Couch Potatoes, as the fall TV season begins to unfold, I'll tell you about a couple of shows that have me excited. Plus, I'm Jeff Braun. I'll give you my review of the number one movie in the world, Joker. Plus, I also checked out JLo's latest movie in which she delivers a career best performance. But first, there's something big and bad that's breaking this weekend. I don't know what to tell you. I ain't said like 500 times already. I have no idea where he is. Don't know where he's headed either. North, south, west, east, Mexico, the moon. I don't have a clue. But yo, even if I did, who wouldn't tell you? Because I've been watching the news, same as everybody else. I've seen that little cage of his they kept him in. I heard about what all they did to him to make sure he kept cooking. So sorry. I don't know what to tell you. No way I'm helping you people put Jesse Pinkman back inside a cage. We've got to start with the arrival of what I imagine could be the biggest launch ever on Netflix. El Camino, a Breaking Bad movie, is now available on Netflix. Sadly, we uh, recorded the show on Thursday, so we haven't seen it yet. No, and they don't send it to us ahead of time, like some places do, so that we should write them a letter or something. <laughs> Just type out, <laughs> send it a typewriter like Grandpa Simpson, and type up an angry letter exactly. and then shake our fist. Old man shakes fist at cloud. Exactly. Now, for me, I run the risk of honestly not remembering that this has been released until like mo- Sunday or Monday or something like that. Really? It's like, oh yeah, I should go watch it. Well, I don't know. Well, Twitter will have stuff about it, right? Well, and that's what I fear, that there will be spoilers. I actually saw <laughs> I saw an article posted on somebody's Facebook page, and I think it said Vince Gilligan uh, delivers Walter White's fate once and for all. I didn't even bother reading the rest of it because yeah, yeah, yeah. I didn't want to know if it's if it was a, a serious spoiler for El Camino. But yeah, I think I'm going to need to figure out a way to watch this one on Friday night. But I've got plans all day, and then I have a wedding all day on Saturday. So if yep. I don't get it done on Friday, I I think I'll have to wait till Thanksgiving Monday to watch it. But do you think that this could be the biggest launch ever for something on Netflix? Oh, uh, I. Yeah, because it's only on Netflix, right? Yeah. Like, the other stuff was popular, but it, of course, had already aired on AMC and that sort of thing. So, it very well could be. Um, now, I don't, uh, what about the Stranger Things, though? That always makes such a big stink every year. Yeah, or that's second true. Second and third years, you know what I mean? That's true. But just, just, as a it's singular hard. event. Yeah. It's hard to tell. It is five years, six years later. Was yeah. 2013 was that when it ended. So, And I, I just don't know how into... Right now, people just aren't into. We got to watch it right now. Yeah, I mean, with a t with something with a game at, like with Game of Thrones, it would happen. But with this having, it's not like a continuation from last week. There's no cliffhanger. We're dying to get to the end of. So it's hard to say. It might very well might be though, and it is a long. It's a long weekend in Canada. It's not in the U.S. So we'll we'll see. Especially sure- when you look at what happened with Downton Abbey when it launched in the in the theaters a couple of weeks ago. It went up against Rambo. Went up against Ad Astra, and that's it true. came out the the box office champion. It made over thirty million <laughs> that's, bucks. That's true. That's uh, that was very surprising. That continues to surprise me. And I'm wondering too now if after Downton Abbey success if the whoever produced this is regretting not <laughs> selling this to a movie studio and, and rather than Netflix although mind you Netflix probably paid a pretty penny I haven't bothered to look to see if there's any information True. on what they paid for it but we'd have paid 12 bucks to go watch it 
in theater. Of course. Netflix could have put it in theaters for two weeks and then put it on Netflix and people would have gone to it. Well, I know that there there's a very limited theatrical run uh, for this. I think it's going to play in a couple of theaters. But other than that, yeah, it's available on Netflix. So next week we will have a review for El Camino because we'll have to wait and... We didn't gain anything from the trailers, really. You remember the no. that that clip that we played was from the teaser, but the second trailer, the main trailer, only had this for dialogue. You ready? Yeah. Don't know who Jesse Pinkman was talking to there. I don't think I even watched that trailer. Really? Just, just along the lines of, I don't want to be spoiled by anything either. So, at the very least, I'll have to go up on Twitter tonight and start muting the people I think may you know, shoot spoilers around. There's some critic, TV critics or whatever that think as soon as it's out, they just start launching into stuff. So, Ah, that's brutal. Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, now let's move on to a second take on Joker. I feel like I know you. I've been watching you forever. Well, there's something special about you, Arthur, I could tell. But you don't listen. <laughs> I'm just trying to make him smile. Just Joker. Rated R. Joker came out last week and made $93 million, which was an October record for domestic opening. And Brett, you saw it last week. You gave it... I gave it four couch cushions out of five. Four couch cushions. I'm not going to give it quite that much. Although I did, in general, I liked it. The bottom line, I thought that was, while Joaquin Phoenix's performance was excitingly intense at times, the movie just wasn't very much fun, and I thought it was sort of too shallow to not be fun. I thought it was interesting to see a dark, gritty version of this, but even though it was grim and disturbingly violent at times and full of all these F-bombs. A lot of it was just too on the nose and still comic booky. All the Gotham stuff, there's newspaper headlines and these protest scenes and almost everything involving Thomas Wayne and his speeches. That didn't seem like real life in any way, even though they, a lot of the other stuff sort of did. Um, not to mention, he's got this condition where he laughs all the time, because that's a good Joker thing, and there's stuff about super rats, and that stuff all felt like comic book stuff to me. As for the controversial stuff about incels or whatever... It's addressed in the movie, but it's not like they, so it's not like they made it without thinking about it. Again, though, for as dark as it is, I just couldn't take it seriously enough to warrant any real discussion about that stuff, especially because Arthur starts off as crazy. He didn't really have too far to go to become the Joker as I, that I thought he would. As good as Joaquin Phoenix was at playing crazy, I, I thought it was kind of a one note all the way through, and it got a little more interesting at the end. I will definitely give it that. And it might not be as simple as I'm making it out to be. Maybe my judgment is clouded by the basic fact that we all knew pretty much that this movie was going to be before we walked in. It's just about the guy becoming the Joker, and that's about it. What else could it be, you know? Uh, and I, frankly, I prefer... Uh, a, a crazy Joker, like a, like the Dark Knight, where you have no idea what he'll do or why he's doing any of it. A true agent of chaos who just wants to watch the world burn, and the mystery of him adds more to that, too. And it's it was just more fun in The Dark Knight, I thought. When there's other characters and a plot to deal with as well, you don't have to have it all resting on one thing, so if the movie's a little soft in one area, it can still hit in other areas, but this was, everything was just riding on the Joker. Uh, and I didn't think believe that this Joker could become some kind of a criminal mastermind. I thought he was too dumb to pull off heists or stuff like that, so I don't. I, I know that's not what they're trying to do, and they're not planning to do that, but if you're going to name him the Joker, that's just what I'm going to expect from him. So, in the end, I thought it looked great. The acting was good. The music was really good. Three couch cushions out of five 
for the Joker. Now, I wouldn't be surprised, though, if Joaquin Phoenix still wins an Oscar. He's almost certainly going to be nominated. Academy loves big performances and showy roles and dramatic, you know, weight gains or losses. So this checks off all those boxes. Also, Joaquin Phoenix has never won an Oscar before, although he's been nominated a few times. So I think they want to give him one and uh, winning one for this. Why not? Well, he's going to probably have to go head to head against Mr. Rogers. You imagine. I mean, you have to imagine Tom Hanks will be nominated there's, for that. What's yeah. it called? Won't you be my neighbor? There's. I've. I've heard something about that this week that he might be nominated in best supporting actor. That the movie might not be. He might. He, he's in it a lot, but he's not like the main guy because it's about like this guy that's doing an article on him or something. Oh, like fair enough. Yeah. So, but no one's really sure because I don't know if anyone's seen it yet, or you never know. If Tom Hanks is in your movie, you might just nominate him as a lead actor, anyways, because he's Tom Hanks. So. Yeah. So yeah, but yeah, that that could be the case, and that'd be something. Well, that's similar to Hustlers, which I'll talk about a bit later in the show. Jennifer Lopez is the headlining name in that film, but she's not the main star. Oh. Constance Wu is the main character. Jennifer Lopez plays a supporting role, and she could very well get nominated for an Oscar. There's been some buzz around her performance, so we'll get into that yeah. a little bit later. And uh, I, I talked about Joker last week being, it was it was a drag at one point, because it was just too much of the pounding into us how crappy his life was. They could have shaved off 15, 20 minutes, I bet, and still made their point quite clearly. And it just, it was almost unbearably difficult to watch after a while because it just was kind of starting to hurt. Like, oh my God, how much pain can one person endure? There's some very cool scenes in it. There's a scene uh, in an apartment involving him and two other people that was, that's one of the most exciting things you'll see in the movies this year. Like from beginning to end, I was was just like, oh my God, what is this? And that that was exciting. And the ending, not the very, very ending, but like the climax sort of ending, obviously won't spoil it or whatever, but uh, that had me on the edge of my seat too. It It was unlike anything I'd seen before, so it's got to get points for that. All right. Up next, we're going to tell you what is coming to home video. Oh, I see the great one. The People's Champion is coming (laughs) home, and his other buddy, Drax the Destroyer. We'll explain what that means in a moment. You're listening to The Couch Potatoes. Welcome back to The Couch Potatoes. I'm Jeff. He's Brett. We're going to take a look at a couple of things on home video and on digital HD, Tuesday, October 15th. It's Hobbs and Shaw. Hobbs. And sure, you want a war, you've got one. Showtime. You want to tell me just what we're dealing with here? Look at me. Bulletproof. Superhuman. I'm Black Superman. We're going for a ride! Still weirds me out when Idris Elba talks with his uh, regular British voice because I'm so used to him from The Wire and he was very convincing as an American drug dealer in that. Yeah. So that's weird. So yeah, Hobbs and Shaw starring The Rock, Jason Statham, Idris Elba's the bad guy, and Vanessa Kirby is in it as well. What else is she in recently? Um, She's been in stuff. I'll Google it while I'm doing that. You Did you go see this movie? I did go see Hobbs and Shaw. It was okay. Uh, it's, of course, part of the Fast and Furious universe. It's not technically a fa- well it's called fast and furious presents hobbs and shaw so it's like an offshoot side movie from these guys that are of course in the fast and furious movies as well but I, it's not as good as the fast and furious movie it was getting the story is ludicrous and all the stories in those movies are ludicrous but this is capital l ludicrous and weirdly enough it's one of the ones that ludicrous isn't in he's in all the other ones <laughs> 
Uh, she was in Mission Impossible Fallout. That's it. That's she what I She played thinking. the White Widow, and she was also in The Crown. She played Princess Margaret in The Crown. Oh, She's been go. in lots of stuff, but yeah. those are the most uh, recent ones that you would probably know her from. And she was also in a movie called Mr. Jones, uh, which I don't know that Is I the remember. The Counting Crows movie? Just yeah. kidding. LOL. Uh, oh, so this was uh, selected to compete for the Golden Bear at the 69th Berlin International Film Festival. The film loosely tells the story of a journalist from Wales named Gareth Jones, who in 1933 travels to the Soviet Union and uncovers unpleasant truths. So I would uh, suggest that this was uh, a limited release. There you go. No kidding. Hobbs and Shaw, on the other hand, sort of storm theaters at the beginning of August. Made a ton of money, I'm sure. Who cares? Uh, it's not bad. If you're looking for a big, dumb action movie, it's, it's a lot of fun. The Rock and Statham spend the whole movie uh, trading zingers with each other because they're, you know, uneasy allies. They don't like each other, but they're forced to work together to go after Idris Elba. And uh, there's a couple of cameos in there, which I won't spoil, that kind of steal the movie at times, which are really funny now that it's coming back to me. I've, I mostly forgot this movie, but if you want some big, dumb action, you can't go wrong with it. Okay. Shaw. Now, what's coming to Blu-ray, DVD, and on demand? It's uh, Stuber, the buddy cop movie starring Dave Bautista and Kumail Nan. Gianni, and that got bad reviews and tanked at the box office, and you could probably miss that one. I finally got around to seeing a movie this week that's been out for about a month. It debuted September 13th. Jennifer Lopez stars in Hustlers. I don't want to be dependent on anybody. I just want to be able to take care of my grandma. These Wall Street guys. You want them drunk enough to get their credit card? But sober enough to sign a check. We didn't do anything wrong. I like boarding just because he did. Hustlers. You know, Tony wouldn't let this happen. I'm going to text him. Who gave her her phone back? Tickets available now. Hustlers is about a crew of savvy former strip club employees who band together to turn the tables on their Wall Street clients. The film was inspired by the article published by New York Magazine entitled The Hustlers of Scores, pardon me, The Hustlers at Scores, which was written by Jessica Pressler. So it's based, inspired by a true story. The cast includes Constance Wu, Julia Stiles, Kiki Palmer, Lily Reinhardt, Cardi B, and Lizzo. And this movie's done quite well at the box office. $92 million domestic as of Thursday, had a strong opening weekend of $33 million, and Rotten Tomatoes score 89%. Even though Jennifer Lopez is the big star, as we mentioned earlier, the main character is played by Constance Wu. We meet her as she's just starting at this big New York strip club and trying to make her way. She had previously worked in another club, but this is a bigger one. She befriends Lopez, manages to befriend Lopez, and that's good news for her because Lopez is the top dog in the club, and they become best friends. There's this kind of ridiculous scene where Lopez is dancing, and these guys are just throwing money at her, like thousands of dollars. They're just, like, genuinely, they've got a stack of cash, and they're just, you know, sort of... Making it rain. Making it rain, and it's kind of ridiculous. Now, mind you, I've never been to a big American strip club so I've never seen anything like that, but maybe that happens. I don't know. And maybe it happened when this was set because the movie is set predominantly in the late 2000s. And eventually they all become former strip club employees circa around 2008 when the financial crisis hits. But they, they come up with this scam to con these big Wall Street dudes out of lots of money. I'm not going to go into the details of, of that, but it gets 
pretty ugly as it goes along. Now, based on the marketing for this film, I thought it was actually going to be more of a comedy, and indeed it is funny at times, but it's actually a really solid drama in terms of what these women go through, you know, this the misogyny that they have to put up with, how also how they just have to deal with their regular lives like some of them are moms and they have to you know handle deal with babysitting and getting the kids to school and all that stuff uh so they it it shows them it just shows them being regular people but it also shows how power and money can corrupt anyone whether you're male or female and really in the end it's about friendship and loyalty. Career best performance from Jennifer Lopez. Constance Wu is solid in the lead role. Great supporting roles and cameos. And one of the things I liked about this too is how they managed to make the movie sexy but not salacious. And I also liked how it provided the theme of female empowerment and women banding together to help each other. But it also is a cautionary tale that banding together to do something bad eventually goes bad and can have devastating consequences. Overall, though, it was decent. Three and a half couch cushions out of five for Hustlers. Still to come, we're going to mark a big anniversary for one of Jeff's favorite films. You're listening to The Couch Potatoes. Brett McGarry, Jeff Braun, we are The Couch Potatoes. I started watching a couple of The Fall's new network shows, and the first one I want to tell you about is on Global. It's called Prodigal Son. Dad, why did you kill all those people? I'm not sure I know the answer. Maybe we can figure it out together. Bright's the best profiler around. Nobody else can get inside the mind of a killer like him. Get a chip off the old block. This wasn't only murder, it was torture. We're afraid you might suffer from certain psychotic inclinations, not unlike your father. Do not go to him. He will destroy you. My boy. I became a profiler and hunted down people like him. You think like the killer? I imagine the crime from the killer's point of view. It's a gift. So much I can teach you about murder. I don't need your help. What were you thinking? It's the kind of genius. We're the same. Ah! What a thrill. Prodigal Son, new drama, Monday, September 23rd on Global. So Prodigal Son airs Monday nights on Global. It stars Michael Sheen as the killer dad in jail. Jesus from The Walking Dead is the Prodigal Son. His real name is Tom Payne. The show hails from Fox in the United States, picked up by Global. This is the show that I was most excited about, and it seems it's the show most people are excited about, at least when it comes to the new shows this season. Fox ordered a full season after just two episodes, ordering nine additional episodes on top of the initial 13, because the series premiere of Prodigal Son was the highest-rated new series on any network, and it helped lead Fox to its first victory on opening night of the broadcast season in 10 years, and it also delivered 8.5 million multi-platform viewers and more than 10 million viewers if you include Friday's Encore telecast. It's an interesting premise, but a gimmicky premise, as is the case now for most new network shows, just classic network TV. It's basically just a crime procedural, the latest in a string of quirky consultant teams with police, <laughs> a la Sherlock Holmes. Like, you remember there was that one show that ABC had? I think it was, oh, uh, shoot. It was about a guy who was immortal, and he played like a 
doctor or something or a surgeon. Was it? He's got that weird name, like Michael Yon Grafood or something. Right. Uh, Did he like wake up in modern New York from, but not and not knowing where he was, yeah. for, like from olden times? Yeah. Something like that. Was there it, was also, of course, Castle, which was about. An author helping cops solve murders, which is, that's just a ripoff of Murder, She Wrote, I think, so. And that was, <laughs> that, that was a very successful show. Okay, I'm just looking it up right now. Uh, I got to remember, Forever. Forever. Was the show. Yeah, people, sometimes these shows should work harder on their titles. He is a 200-year-old man, works in the New York City morgue, trying to find a key to unlock the curse of his immortality. But in the meantime, he helped the cops <laughs> solve crimes. And let's not forget about Lucifer, right. which was about the devil himself. I think that's the one I was thinking of. Helping the police solve ah. crimes. Uh, that ended up on Netflix after Fox cut it loose. So, gimmicky premise. Again, actor Tom Payne, who was Jesus on The Walking Dead, plays Malcolm Bright, a psychologist who was an FBI agent, but he's let go. So he teams up with the NYPD to help them do some profiling and stuff. Because as you heard, his dad was a serial killer and he's locked up for life. But over the years, Malcolm has gained insight into the mind of the serial killer because he would go visit his dad. And I guess he just learned all sorts of creepy stuff from his dad. And again... Dad is played by Michael Sheen, who is excellent in everything he does. And he's such a versatile actor. Like, this is a guy who played the Prime Minister in The Queen. Yep. Right? Yep. But he also played Lucian, the the king of the werewolves in Underworld. And he was also... Oh, he was a vampire in Twilight. Yeah, he was like the the head honcho vampire of whatever their royal order was. And he was super creepy. And, of course, he played Wesley Snipes on 30 Rock. It was Tina Fey's boyfriend. Oh, yes! Yeah, that's right. That's right. Yeah, he's so great. I just love, whenever Michael Sheen pops up in something, that automatically lands on my radar. And that's what landed this on my radar. I thought, Michael Sheen? That's cool. So Bright is scarred from his childhood, from learning, of course, that his dad was a killer. But now to solve crimes, he has to turn to his dad in jail, hence the gimmick even unfolding more. So you've got quirky guy helping the cops, while crazy dad helps the quirky guy every week. So it's interesting for now, but I just don't know how you sustain that, because every week it's this, you know, dad gets on the phone, Hi, son. Oh, let me ask you this question about this case that you're following now. And and then the son reluctantly has to go see his dad. So... Yeah, it's interesting. Also, I'm not sure that I'm liking Payne in the lead role because he was great as Jesus, who was a super laid-back character in The Walking Dead. But in this, he's a lot more tightly wound, and you can just see him acting, yeah. which is never good. But uh, So I'm curious to see where they take it, and I am enjoying it so far. So I give Prodigal Son the thumbs up. Another one I'm watching, also on Global, is called Evil. You know, he said, since I've made a study of death and dying, no, it was a voice. I'm working with someone who's looking into demonic possession and its effect on crime. But I'm a forensic psychologist. I don't believe in all that. We're here to assess whether a supernatural force was influencing you to kill. He didn't murder seven people because there's whispering in his house. Do you think science can answer every question? I do, just not all at once. He was talking to himself. And this is what led you to believe he was possessed? No. Someone talked back. I know you believe in this stuff. I don't. 
You don't have to believe in the supernatural to know that there are people out there who are evil. So Evil airs Thursday nights on Global. It's a CBS show from the U.S., and it stars Katya Herbers as a forensic psychologist who is recruited by Mike Coulter, who played Luke Cage on Netflix, to help them look into potentially supernatural crimes. Coulter works for the Catholic Church. He's got a sidekick whose job is to try to debunk as much as possible before something is declared supernatural. For example... If it sounds like the house is whispering or groaning or maybe, uh, you know, a guy made a weird guttural sound, well, this guy will check to see if your pipes are clogged, for example, or if the dishwasher is clogged, or if something weird is caught on video, he'll check to see if the tape was doctored. So it's interesting that way because it's not a show about the supernatural, and yet it is because they, it seems their main goal is to debunk the supernatural elements of these stories, but it would appear there are some overarching supernatural forces at play, but in more of a long-game approach. So that kind of makes it intriguing. It's a little slow-moving, but it's unique. I don't think I've ever quite seen anything like this, especially on network television. And Ben from Lost is in it, Woo! Michael Emerson. He plays a bad guy and likely a demon. It's not a home run. Evil is not... Perfect. It's not like wildly fun or super, super compelling and interesting, but it's interesting enough that I want to stick around to see where it goes. And I really like Mike Coulter and uh, Katya Herbers, too. I'm not super familiar with her. It turns out she was in Westworld. I think she was oh. Ed Harris's daughter oh. in that. Uh, but this is, and this is just a strange kind of show for CBS. They, they don't do this sort of thing often. So I salute them for giving a show like this a shot. They usually play things so safe. You remember, like, Oh, boy. We're going back over a decade now. They had a show called Moonlight, which was a vampire show. It starred the, the dude from, from Hawaii Five-O. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Alex O'Loughlin. Yes. And that I actually really liked that show, but I think they launched that show maybe a year too early because... It was before Twilight? It was, before, it was just <laughs> before Twilight, so vampires hadn't quite yeah, yeah. made it back into the mainstream. Then, of course, Twilight came back, and sexy vampires were all the rage for, for years. Uh, but so it's, it's been... I don't remember CBS doing anything outside of the norm like that since then. So, hmm. at least off the top of my head, I, I could be forgetting something. No, they're pretty much... They like their regular sort of cop show stuff. Yeah. So evil's pretty cool too, but again, it's kind of a procedural because each week there's, you know, something that needs to be looked into, but they've just put this kind of supernatural spin on it. So again, Prodigal Son Mondays on Global and Evil Thursdays on Global, two shows I recommend. Up next, another show we both recommend and an anniversary for a film that I really need to watch again. It's been like over a decade and uh, I I need to put a fresh perspective on it because I I remember when I watched it, I still don't understand a lot of the things going on (laughs) in that movie, so I need to watch it through some hopefully more mature lenses. You're listening to The Couch Potatoes. Welcome back to The Couch Potatoes. I'm Jeff. He's Brett. We're going to talk about one more television show, also on Global, but not a new show. It's season 39. It's Survivor Island of the Idols. Next time on Survivor. In a game of manipulation. How do you feel working with us? I'm down. Suddenly now I'm like a bro. Y'all are stupid. There will be blood. Oh my, I can see my bones. And an impossible mission. Tonight you must sneak into the other tribe's camp. 
That was the promo for this past week's episode. You haven't seen that one yet, right? No, I haven't so watched we this week's So we won't spoil that. We won't spoil anything, really. Uh, so far, it's early going. Not a huge fan of anyone in the main cast. There have only been these three episodes. No one's popped for me in a good way. There are a couple of people I don't like, but I can't remember their names, which is fine because usually I don't bother caring very much until about halfway through the game. So far, so good with the regular gameplay, I thought. There's a lot of the usual types of people playing. Cocky people, stupid people, those who are smartly staying low-key at the beginning of the game. Seems like it should be a good one. There's no big warning signs anyways. But then there's this twist, which I don't know. I find So far, I'm kind of baffled by it. Players get sent to Island of the Idols, where they meet Boston Rob and Sandra, two legendary players. They're not playing the game this time, though. They just make a point. They make a point of saying that, though. They're not entering the game. They're not voting. They say they can't win the million dollars. They're just supposed to give advice to whomever is sent to them, which has so far been a little underwhelming. Sandra's funny all the time because she just has no filter and says whatever pops into her head, and it's entertaining. But they make Rob read scripted stuff, which is not his forte. Um, the player they send to these people have to compete in some kind of a challenge to earn a reward, and Rob has to go through the stuff that needs to be said to get these people to do it. They has to read it properly, blah, blah, blah. Uh, that part's not great. It's not Rob. It's not why we like Rob. We like Rob for the same reason we like Sandra when he's just popping off not caring what he says. They also watch the Tribal Council, and they have provided a couple of entertaining moments there. They're watching in secret. The players don't know they're watching. I, I'm glad they're back. I just watch, which, wish they got to let loose a little more. But, I mean, who knows how it'll all end up. Survivor does has a history of changing the season as it goes along kind of thing. They're not stuck like these other CBS shows to their to whatever gimmick they've come up with at the beginning. They usually drop it quickly, so who knows what'll happen. Yeah, I, I enjoyed the first two episodes. I was kind of wondering about this whole format with sending a, one of the contestants off to hang out yeah. with Rob and Sandra. And at, at my initial reaction was, well, this is just going to come off like they're lecturing them. But then to see what they do where they just start talking and then, then they later reveal, we could tell she wasn't paying attention, but her test began the second she sat yeah. down. And it, it just goes to show how good... Boston Rob and Sandra are at this game and how they continue to sort of stay on top of it because a lot of times somebody who maybe played in the first or second season if they were to come back now they would get just destroyed because the social game has evolved so much over the years from people who have watched this show from its beginning and have studied it have grown up with it and uh, the game has changed so much but they seem to still get it and if you were to put Rob or Sandra back in the game hard to imagine that they wouldn't do very well and maybe that maybe there'll be wild card and late entries or something that could be that wouldn't surprise us at this point i think at the very least we should certainly expect them to show up in the spring for survivor 40 when it's all the contestants or former winners oh my the, god are they doing that yeah and since these guys are already out there i can't i imagine that that's why that they're gonna just be part of that oh yeah so. that's gonna be a huge season yeah. excited about that okay. but that's not till spring we'll get through this season first all right what's going on with the anniversary year mark oh 20th anniversary of a stone cold classic it was on the tip of everyone's tongue can i be next we just gave it a name gentlemen welcome to fight club 
Fight Club, one of the bigger deal movies from 1999, which was a very good year for movies. I hadn't seen this in about a decade either until last night. Uh, David Fincher's Fight Club stars, of course, Edward Norton and Brad Pitt with Helena Bonham Carter and Meatloaf in supporting roles. And after watching it again, I can't imagine anyone other than Norton and Pitt in those parts. Norton is so good uh, delivering the detached, sarcastic narration of the movie. I know Morgan Freeman grabs a lot of headlines for narration, but Norton and Fight Club might actually be my favorite. Movie's just a wild ride. The ending absolutely floored me when I first saw it. It's up there with the usual suspects in the best twist ending department. And on rewatch, you, you realize how brilliant the whole movie is. There are a thousand clues as to what the truth is, and you just never saw it coming the first time around. Helena Bonham Carter is underrated, I think, because especially once you get the ending and fully understand what her character's reality was throughout the movie, it's kind of mind-boggling. It's a satire of toxic masculinity. <coughs> Excuse me, which wasn't really a term at the time, and a lot of bros sort of took this movie too seriously, which is very si silly. Uh, again, if you watch until the end, it becomes pretty clear the movie doesn't really want people to abandon society and start a fight club. Maybe the Joker could take a page from this movie. I don't know. It was also super entertaining. It's got some very dark humor, but it's still, it's humor, and it cracks along. It's two hours, 20 minutes. And I sort of got upset when I saw that when I first popped in the DVD last night. And then the next thing I was like, well, how long have I gone into this thing? And it was already an hour and a half over. Wow. So I was like, wow, this is going by fast. So that's credit to Fincher. He's made some terrific movies like Zodiac and The Social Network. I think this is my favorite. It looks great from cinematography perspective. Also, the production design, a lot of detail. You can really feel how dirty most of it is. I hadn't seen this movie in a while. I felt pretty old, actually, when I watched it last night because Brad Pitt looks young, a lot younger than he does in Ad Astra in theaters now and uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood earlier this year. Yeah, I the, the Fight Club, I, li I like that movie. I really enjoyed it, and I own it. I have it on Blu-ray, although I think I've owned it for at least five years, and I've never opened it. Yeah. And I, I just, I never, I think what I never quite understood is how it escalated from these guys having a fight club to like destroying buildings. Yeah, it's a, it's a weird jump. And it's back in a day where even though it's two hours and 20 minutes long, they don't waste a lot of time. They just, they just crack from one scene to another and you have to put some things together yourself. But then I think when you find out what this guy's deal is at the very end, it's like, oh, well, I guess that makes sense. That's all the time we have for this week's edition of the Couch Potatoes. Next week, we will offer our thoughts on El Camino, a Breaking Bad movie. Make sure you follow us on Twitter at CouchPotato68. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast if you haven't done that yet, because the podcast is always out before the show airs on broadcast. That's all the time we have. I'm Brett. He's Jeff. We are the Couch Potatoes. Remember, if it requires getting up off the couch, don't bother. <laughs>